Welcome to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing, the podcast devoted to developer marketing, relations, evangelism, and advocacy. I'm Stathis Jorakopoulos, and I'm your host. In each episode, I welcome a guest from the developer marketing world. We talk about best practices, challenges, lessons learned, and share insights, data, and experiences to help you boost your devrel game, talk to, and engage with developers. This podcast is brought to you by Slash Data, the leading analyst of the developer economy, and devrelx.com, a hub devoted to providing resources for developer marketing professionals, including developer ecosystem trends, news and job openings, webinars, a book, and a bi-weekly digest you can subscribe to. Access them all at devrelx.com. Hello and welcome to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing Season 4. I'm Stathis, your host. We're kicking off this fourth season with a new episode, part of our Master Tip series. In our Master Tip series, you listen to tips and best practices from the panel discussions we put together for the Future Developer Summit. DevRel the next day, defining success and metrics. This is the theme of today's episode, which will help you get an inside look on how our speakers measure success. Who are these speakers? The panel is hosted by our very own Moshula Kramvusanu, Head of Client Relations at Slash Data, and is joined by Lori Fralli, Principal Product Manager Azure SDKs at Microsoft, Christy Fidura, Director of Global Developer Marketing at Salesforce, Jennifer Hooper, Senior Director of Developer Marketing, Brand and Content at Armory, and Amara Graham, Head of Developer Experience at Camunda. You can find all past panel discussion and insights presentation, which are rich with data at futuredeveloper.io, along with more information on the upcoming event on December 8th. Let's move on to the next session of the day. But before that, I do want to give a big shout out to our partners for today's event. We are very proud to be working with these organizations, Content Lab, Orbit, and Stack Overflow. Without our headliner partners, these events would not become a reality. So thank you so much for supporting our mission. And I would like to change the tone of the, the today today's event and move to a panel discussion defining success and metrics. And bringing in our panelists, let me tell you about this panel first. I love this group not only because they together have immense experience across very different organizations, but also because they represent so many different sides of the coin. So developer relations, developer marketing, user experience, and product managing. So make sure to use your chance and ask questions. We will be taking questions from the audience and don't forget Slack and networking in a bit. All right, so I'm not going to say anything more. I'm going to let them speak for themselves. Let's welcome on the stage Christy Fedora, Lori Frowley, Jennifer Hooper, and Amara Graham. And to get started, let's do a quick round of intros, just a quick one minute each person. And we'll ask you to tell us who you are, what you do, and one fun fact, because we love these if we knew you better, we would know that. And I think I'm going to start with go down the line. Christy, why don't you go first? Hi, everybody. My name is Christy Fedura, and I am the Director of Global Developer Marketing for Salesforce Developer Relations. It's really an honor to be here with you today. I A fun fact about me, I really like to cook, and nobody's more surprised about that than I am because I didn't cook for years, but I have really started enjoying it. So I hope that's good enough to get us kicked off. <laughs> <laughs> it's good enough. Hi, I'm Jennifer Hooper. I'm the Senior Director of um, 
the developer brand content and marketing over here at Armory, which is a startup. A fun fact about me, let's see, I'll say I once threw out the baseball on the field at an Oakland before the Oakland A's game. So that's like my one little thing to fame. And I stood on the mound and almost made it to the home plate. <laughs> wow. <laughs> one down. One down. Yeah. <laughs> Amara? Hi, my name is Amara Graham. I'm the head of developer experience at Camunda. My fun fact, I guess, is I share a desk with my cat. So he may make an appearance at some point and look like there's some sort of earthquake happening. It's just him rubbing his face on my computer. <laughs> I think a lot of us uh, can relate as well. Lori. Hi, I'm Lori Fraley. I'm the Principal Group Product Manager for the Azure SDKs at Microsoft. And a fun fact about me is I like to tell everyone I'm a hybrid. I run on wine and chocolate. <laughs> Thanks a lot, everyone. Let's get started. We're going to go straight into the topic. Now, sometimes we forget this, but we know the best place to start is at the beginning. So defining the right metrics. So, and I'm going to ask Christy to get started again and tell us where do you start? How? That's a huge question. And I think it's one of those questions that paralyzes people because they don't know where to start. And there's an intrinsic fear that if they measure anything, it won't be a good number. I'm not going to measure that because I know it's, I know it's not great. And so therefore I'm not going, it's better if I don't know. Right. And that's actually a terrible position to put yourself in because it devalues your role. It devalues the power of what you're trying to do. And it also devalues more importantly, your community and your audience. So I'm a huge believer in measuring, measure everything. In fact, I have a new favorite hashtag, Christy loves metrics. Okay. Metrics are my friend. Metrics are everybody's friend. You've got to start somewhere so that you know where you are, because if you do one thing, even just one thing after you have that information and it takes you from zero to one, that's a 50% increase, right? Like that's a massive amount back in your back pocket. So I think that the most important thing is to get comfortable with the idea that you've got to figure out what you need to measure and then start measuring it. And don't wait to start measuring it next week. Oh, I need this tool, or I have to get this special piece of software, and I have to, I have to tell everybody why I need this. No, don't, don't, don't put it off. Start as soon as you can. And I had this when I was running community before, and I have it now as a marketing director where I need to prove the value of what I'm doing out to a developer audience right now. In my particular case, we don't actually sell to our developers. It may be differently for some of you on this call today, but we have no transactional relationship with the developer. So I have to measure whatever it is that I can measure. And now let me give you an example of, of how I do that. What I tend to start with is finding... Did we... Did we lose... Do we lose Christy, the internet pros? Uh, I think so. It, oh, that's it looks like it. Oh, darn. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll continue. Christy, we'll be back. We'll check on the tech side and see what's going on. But let's, let's start from the beginning again. So if we can get some examples, like let's start with Amara. You know, you're coming from the UX side of things. Are there any examples that you can There's give? somebody in the org. Oh, Christy, 
She came back. These things happen. <laughs> what can we do? Christy, are you back? I'm back. Hello, everybody. Okay, so I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Please That's apologize. All right. Let, no worries. Let's uh, fast forward, actually, I think, to where you were getting, and you were going to talk about some examples. If you could give us, uh, you know, quickly a couple examples or one main example, and then we'll, we'll, we'll share with the other uh, speakers. Yes, thank you. Sorry about that. So what I tend to try to do is to find someone in the organization who's invested in the community and then understand their pain points and try to prove what the value of the community is and resurrect and, and sort of tackling those issues. So if, if manager, for example, how is the community or the audience actually helping the support person meet their goals and their needs, right? But first you have to understand what those goals and needs are. And most importantly, you can understand how that person measures success. And you can take that back and apply those success metrics back to whatever mathematics you can get on hand to help you prove those numbers, right? So mm -hmm. you just do your simple math and you say this plus this or this divided by this equals that. And then you've got one number. One number is a great place to start. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, going now, we'll go back to Amara before. So you can give an example from your side as well. Like if you can give us a case from the UX side of things, that would be great. Yeah. So just for, for clarity too, the, when I'm talking about users, I'm laser focused on the, the developer persona. So yes. how are developers interacting with the, the product? Are they getting what they need efficiently? Are they, they finding the material that we're providing them effective? So for me, what I'm trying to make sure is at, at this point in time, at least, do they feel engaged with what we're creating, what we're producing, like on the documentation side? Are they interacting with our how-tos? We can see, you know, how long they're maybe sitting on those pages to determine, are they just reading it or are they actively like walking through it? And then from there, do they feel enabled? Have they completed those how-tos and are they actively searching for more advanced topics? Are they interacting on our forums asking for content that shows that they're building off of that foundational experience or that foundational knowledge that we provided to them. So a lot of what I'm looking for is seeing how people are stepping through that content. And then once they are stepping through, are they, they looking for more or have they determined that this product is actually not for them? In which case, I want to give them that ability to, to find and, and answer that question themselves in the fastest way possible so that they're not going halfway through our content, wasting a lot of their time just to determine the product right now is, is not right for them or, you know, the, the problem they're trying to solve is not one that they can do with, with our products or our technology. Hmm. And anyone else that wants to add to this topic on where you start, otherwise we can go on to the next, uh, Jennifer Laurie. I would, say, I would say like one of the places where you start at Microsoft is just understanding adoption of the SDK. Mm -hmm. And for us, we start with understanding what percentage of people are adopting the latest and greatest SDKs versus some of our older ones that have been out there for a long mm -hmm. time. And then that's kind of our baseline of where we start. And then we can work to understand why someone might be using an older SDK rather than the latest. And is it an awareness problem? Is it they just haven't planned time to upgrade? Or is it they think all the features from the old one aren't in the new one? And then we can take action and then we can see if that metric changes over time. 
Thank you. And the only thing I'll um, chime in with is that, as you've heard everyone else speak about, it's really important to understand the context. What really is success? It is not going to be the same for everything. And it's not even going to be the same for even in the journey to upgrade your SDK, for example. Some of the metrics will be very fine-tuned to some of the different scenarios that Lori mentioned. And so it's really important to think from the user perspective. You know, Christy gave some good examples of that, about how people are looking for these things and understand, you know, what is truly important and what's truly a meaningful measure and then get smarter and smarter about how you can keep iterating on that as you know christy also well i'm gonna i'm gonna step on that actually jennifer you had mentioned something uh, that we discussed at some point that was one engaged person is better than 1000 non-engaged people mm -hmm. and i want you to I would love actually for you to expand on that a little bit because this is the quality metrics discussion here. And, and I think it's a, a core part of, of what our audience is trying to understand as well. So yeah, expand, let us know what is Yeah, that's one of my favorite things to really, I'll, I'll say rant about because I'm pretty passionate about this one. So, you know, just building on what I was just talking about, it's really important to understand what success is, but also making sure that you're doing the right thing for the right people. So yes, you could do something to get a thousand people, a million people um, coming to do X, read an article, read some documentation, respond to some sort of marketing you're doing. But the thing is, it really doesn't matter if they're the wrong people. And not only that, it's not that it doesn't matter, it's that it can actually be harmful to you because it's really about the impact the trust in the brand in the brand and the communication that you're doing. So if you're, you know, doing something where you're attracting people who are trying to solve for X, but you're talking about Y, but they think you've tricked them into coming there, you've already lost brand credibility and you've already lost the you've lost and made it harder for yourself to actually build up a trusted relationship with these people as you move forward. I've often called it the thud factor. You know, I used to I'll give you one example. Um, at one company I worked at, and I'm not going to name anything, but we had someone who was focusing on some, you know, doing some, you know, SEM type um, advertising for developers. And, you know, the ads weren't necessarily bad. I'm, I'm not talking about that. But what they were doing is they were buying keywords that were really, really popular, and people would click on these things. But the thing is, the content had nothing to do with them. It, it except maybe, maybe very tangentially. And so they were getting thousands and thousands and thousands of click-throughs, but the abandonment rate was off the charts. And so, you know, they were promoting to their management that, look, well, I'm so successful. Sorry, I shouldn't say they, like our, our program is so successful We're getting all of these people. But then when you start looking at it, it's like, it really isn't. You're spending all this money. Yes, you're driving this, but you're actually potentially harming your brand instead of helping it. You know, when I was at Heroku, one of the things we really started to look at was not just people who came in and registered because that there's a really low bar for registering, but it's like, who's actually using the product and who should be using the product? You know, there are people who will log in and uh, create accounts because they're doing something that has nothing to do with like deploying an app. So how do you understand for each of the personas that you're really looking at, what is true success? And if you don't understand that, you really run the risk of getting false signals. And, you know, as I said, really, making it harder for yourself to build back user trust and getting people really engaged. Thank you so much. Like that, the, that 
That is really interesting. I think we do have organizations across the board have this sort of, you need to have metrics. So let's report the biggest numbers. What are the biggest numbers? Logins. <laughs> they logged in or they signed up or anyone else that wants to expand on this, like Lori, Christy. Yeah, I'll, I'll chime in, Skola. And it's exactly what Jennifer said. I would rather have one person who wants to hear from me than a thousand. I get than a thousand who don't. And I get really excited when I get unsubscribes to my email list, right? And mm. people in the organization are like, what, what, why are you excited about, about unsubscribes? And I'm like, because every time people leave our database, it's because they don't want to be there. And mm -hmm. why am I wasting mm -hmm. my time and effort talking to them, right? Now, that's a very hard-nosed sort of approach to it. And I don't mean to sound hard-nosed. I really want people who want to be there to be hearing from us. And I think, unfortunately, in the marketing world, we are all hypnotized by social media, right? One tweet can, can have thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of impressions. And so those big numbers get really exciting to us. But what Jennifer's talking about is focusing on the smaller, more impactful, more important number, mm -hmm. right? Because you could have, you could send out an email to 60,000 people. And if 14 of those people actually utilize that information in a great way and take it to the next level and the next level and the next level. And suddenly you've got 14 people who are really, really engaged with you and really want to hear from you. And I appreciate that. That doesn't sound like a big number, but those 14 people are worth, in my books, 50,000 people. Yep. Thank you. Anyone else that would like to add to that? Yeah, Jennifer and, and Christy reminded me that docs and forum posts tend to get a tremendous amount of traffic. And I know for marketing teams, they look and they go, oh my gosh, you get 12,000 page views a month on that, that article. That's great. I tend to, to kind of get those on my radar and, and look at them to see what's, what content is actually there. And unfortunately, a lot of our, our high performing forum posts or our, our docs tend to be the ones that are, are super generic. Like I know at a previous company, we had a very, very generic error that was ranking very highly. It was a forum post that said, you know, hey, I'm seeing this. It had nothing to do with our product, our technology. I looked at that and said, those are not, those are not quality leads that come in. That's really just a page that has somehow ranked really high on a Google search. People see it. They're hoping to, to solve their problem. It has nothing to do with our product. So I actually advocate for taking that down or archiving it or something that de-indexes it because it's not a valuable entry point into our product or our content. And again, that can be really hard because it's you know, you're, you're sacrificing all of these page views and all of those people. And maybe there's 1% that are, are going to be interested in your product. That's not the, the quality engagement that I'm looking for or the quality enablement that I'm looking for. So I tend to look at those and, and track those to make sure that the pages that are, are generating the most traffic are really helping us and really helping our developers or prospective developers get what they need rather than just funnel a bunch of traffic in that may not be the, the quality that we're looking for. Thank you. Lori, I, I want to move now the discussion on your side. I want to go a step further because now we're still on that early experience, the early life of the of the experience that a developer has with you. Moving on a bit further, because you you 
I think in your role, you are digging a lot more into product side and getting into it and reducing friction might be. I'd love to hear more about that. Sure. I can give a couple of different examples. One of the things we've recently started to do at Microsoft is try to quantifiably measure the getting started experience for developers. So what is the time to hello world or time to first API call? And it's not just about the metric, that's kind of a baseline that allows us to discuss change over time, but really digging in to understand where that friction is. You know, do they have problems finding an authentication key? Do they have problems finding the sample code they want to start from? Do they, are they able to make that first API call successfully, but really then get stuck figuring out what to do next as they start to build more complex examples? And so we're spending a lot of time there right now to really study this with our developer customers. Another interesting example from a previous company was we measured the time to publish an app on our app store. And there were multiple steps along the way. You would go through a technical review and then a security review and then a marketing review. And we would measure how long developers spent in each of those phases and then try to understand why they were getting stuck and where the bottlenecks were. And so we would we made changes to the criteria. We made some tools available to help them self-test some things before submitting. And then we were able to watch those friction points and those durations come down over time because really the result was the faster they could get the application published, the faster they could start um, connecting with customers and presumably building out their business. What's well, really getting into, thank you so much, Lori. We actually have a few, we have quite a few, and I had on Slack a few days ago, questions from the audience. Uh, I want to start jumping things in here a little bit and talking about, so, and it, it was so in line with, with topics that we could discuss. So I really want to bring it at, so one of our, uh, one of our connections on Slack or in the group had asked his big challenge is giving quantifiable results towards company goals. So giving an example here, one company goal for having a community is to offset support burden. So I want to be able to say the community answered X questions, which represents Y percent of the support requests that we had. But his community is active on Slack, Discourse, GitHub, Stack Overflow, Reddit, Twitter. And they answer questions on all these platforms. Does anyone have any, any feedback or thoughts here on an, an, an a case like this? On how does he do that? Can I, I I'll start. Yeah. So I would say, you know, I've I've tried at, at previous companies to do something similar. And one of the biggest takeaways that I had was go super granular. Instead of trying to solve X amount of support cases and make it super broad go for things like what are the most asked questions that you can offload from support. Mm. So they should be able to provide those metrics or those themes to say, hey, we answer, how do you do X over and over and over again? If you can generate a piece of content or there's a forum post that you can direct folks to, can you get that to a one-touch support ticket? So they just submit a support ticket, they get a link, they're immediately off on the, the right track and they, they feel like they've solved their problem. Support feels like they've helped them. Everything is good to go. So that doesn't necessarily reduce tickets, but that potentially increases the number of one-touch tickets mm. and decreases the number of back and forth that you're going to have with that individual user on that problem. The other thing that I would focus on is 
a particular feature or topic area and reduce the number of tickets there. Again, this can be something where you say, hey, we can create a new how-to or a new guide or a new piece of documentation. So this becomes self-serve rather than something that gets channeled through support and see if that decreases the number of tickets that come in on that topic. It's much easier to do that rather than going after the kind of more vague and intimidating, we've decreased all of the support tickets for all of the topics across all of the areas. And then don't be afraid to change that at some cadence that you choose. Maybe it's monthly, maybe it's quarterly, and change the theme or change the topic that you're tackling. And then you can potentially get to the point where you've done this enough, you've collected enough themes and topics that you can now say in that broader sense, we've solved X tickets or we've reduced X tickets by mm-hmm. creating these things in the, the developer relations space. Amazing. Thank like you it. so much, yeah. Mara. Yeah. Anyone else? Sorry, I would just, everything Amara said, I can't agree with more. She phrased it extremely well. The only thing I would add to it is that, you know, when you see these things that are really well answered by the community and you are putting links and things like that on your site to those places, the other thing you can measure as a signal is which of those are people actually clicking on from your site. Because you can track if someone comes to your site in the support side, are they looking for something that they're, instead of submitting a support ticket, are they actually clicking to go over to Stack Overflow or wherever, wherever those answers might be? And the more that you're able to start looking at those from sort of the high level perspective, and you you might be able to pick out some of the trends around the types of questions that people are looking for. And that will just help um, you with what mm. you know Amara said in terms of looking at some of that avoidance of those pieces. The other thing you can look at as well, and I've looked at this, and again, it really varies tremendously based on you know, your, how your company set up, what the support is, what your website is, all of those pieces. But the other thing that I've often looked at is the traffic from those sites and what people did. So if you're seeing that people are coming from those sites and going to the documentation and there is not a resulting support call, that's another sign that shows at least a strong indicator that, you know, people are getting answers and getting more engaged. So I think if you think through all of the way from a user's perspective, what they'd be looking at and what they would, you know, to be successful, would they get a full answer there? Would they have to look at a doc? Would they have to do something else? Or what would be the next step that they might progress to? You can start to see some of those things, start to look at tracking them. There's so many times you'll start tracking something and it doesn't really give you more questions and non-answers than anything else, but you just keep refining and refining and you will get to the point of really driving a strong understanding of how these things are attributing to what you're Mm -hmm. actually doing in the experience. Thank you. Um, Amazing. I'm getting great advice. We're getting good feedback from the audience. I'm seeing the the notes coming in and the messages coming in. The the same user brought up another question that I feel would also lean into Lori again. And I I think we let us know if that's the case. But one of his company goals is to drive, to be able to say that new features, X new features came from community feedback. Is that is that something that you've seen? I mean, how do you even manage to, to do that? Is there a different way? I mean, I would say the Azure SDKs are developed in the open on GitHub, and we tag the issues that are coming in to say whether or not they're community requested, because we do some of our own planning and tracking work in GitHub, right? Mm. So we file issues that represent work 
were going to do, and it could have been an internal request, but we tag the ones that come from the community specifically mm. so we can track them over time. Mm. All right, Michael, that's also your question. So we can go to the next one. I have another question from the audience. We have a few more questions. This has really brought out a lot of discussion. I'm going to bring it up here. Qualitative feedback. So does anyone, first of all, there, we had, you know, qualitative versus quantitative. How do you put them together is one. But then which tools are useful? Has anyone, does anyone have something that can add here on using qualitative feedback as well? I could get on my soapbox and talk about this probably for hours. <laughs> I think I did a, a, a DevRelCon talk on this somewhat recently, but I, to get on my soapbox, I will not <laughs> present a number without some kind of context that could be narrative context, that could be, you know, quoting people from the community, but I'm never going to just spit out a number and say, you know, here's how we're doing. It's not helpful. It can actually be very harmful to do that. The The example that I like to use, or maybe that I don't like to use is I don't often present on page views. I will will track those things and, and look at them as kind of like a gut check, but I try to stay away from that because it doesn't give you context. How many people were looking at it? How long were they looking at it? Did they just bounce in and out? Did they get what they need and they were there for a short time and left because they didn't need any more information? It doesn't really tell an, an interesting story. So what I usually tell folks is, you know, provide that context, provide that narrative, whether it's quotes, historical context, whatever it may be, because it's much more compelling to say we gained 100 users in a week than we have 100 users. Is that 100 users the entire life of the product and the product is 10 years old? Is that 100 users in the last two days? Is that 100 users because I got on stage and did a talk about it? You, you lose that context there. So I, I don't have a, a great suggestion for tools. I'm hoping somebody else on the panel does. Please, please, please present numbers with, with context and, and with quotes and additional information because it's, it's a better story to tell. I just want to weigh in. A spreadsheet is is good enough for me. I mean, there might be other tools out there, but a spreadsheet is is fine because it all depends on what you've got. And uh, mm. that is such a, an amazingly powerful thing that you just said, Amara, about keeping it in context. And what I see a lot of times is that people are afraid to ask their audience, their customers, their community, how they feel. How's it all going? What do you, what do you think you put this piece of content out? What did you like it? I mean, you could do that on Twitter, right? Like you could just DM somebody who said, oh, I just finished reading this SDK or this blog post. Hey, what'd you think? Was that good? Did you like, <laughs> do you have any feedback for us? Should we do more of that sort of thing? Why, like why, why, why be afraid to ask the people who ultimately are going to help you shape what you deliver, right? And getting their feedback only makes sure that what you're producing is right for them. And, you know, we, we survey our developer audience at Salesforce frequently. I've just released our brand new survey two days ago. And, you know, I will reach out to our MVPs, some of our community members that I'm really good friends with. And I'll say, look, I've, I've just published the survey and I would love to have your feedback because I love hearing what you have to say. You can help me make things better for you. What do you need? Right. And, and a survey isn't, 
isn't necessarily what you have to do. It does make things a little bit easier. You could stick a Google form up if you want to, but you could just have a phone call with a couple of people. You could create like a focus group if you wanted to, but they are, they are your people. So they do have an opinion and their opinion should be worth more than the people inside your organization. Going on to that, there is a question that is talking about surveys. It's, stuff and coming from slash data, it's like, yes, we can talk about surveys, but we won't. It's for you to discuss. So do you survey your customers or your developers? How often? Yeah. Do you do it? <laughs> Does everybody? So at Microsoft, we have surveys that are continuously running in product and will pop up at certain points to collect mm. feedback. And so we're constantly getting new responses that help us calculate things like CSAT and um, NPS. And then we get the verbatims as well, where you start to look for the themes, like, are we hearing more feedback on docs or less feedback on docs? Are we hearing more feedback that this particular part of the SDK is improving and there, you know, people are noticing. And so that's constantly in the product versus any sort of annual, like, here's our survey, tell us what you think. It's more of a constant experience. Yeah. And I would say that there's nothing that beats getting real customer input and you have to be open to it just because someone, you know, it's very easy to fall into the trap of, well, I don't agree with you. You have that opinion, but we did it. And it's this way. And it's like, but that's not the case. What you've done, what someone's communicating to you is how they perceived it. So you're not communicating. If I, if I say this is the greatest thing ever and you're hearing it as, you know, you don't understand what you're talking about then you're not successful, right? So you really need to make sure that what you're doing is speaking in the right context. And to the points that were made earlier about not just relying on an internal audience, that is so dangerous because you have people who have so much context that you're already, you know, there's nothing more valuable to me than, you know, either if I'm joining a new company or when someone else does, leveraging that new mind for, you know, as long as you possibly can before you kind of get immersed and you have a level of knowledge that you're already interpreting things through as much as you're trying not to, because it's so important to look at things from the end user perspective and from a the perspective of somebody who doesn't have all that context. Even someone who's the biggest fan of your product and uses it all the time, they have their own perceptions, their own way of thinking about things. And if you're calling something widget A and they're calling it widget B or they're calling it, you know, an yeah. apple, you're calling it a banana. It's like, you'll never have that conversation effectively. Even if you think you we're going to stick on, on this one more question. I'm going to go back to it because there's, there's a lot going on in the back end of this. that I'm very happy about, <laughs> we're going to go for one more question to a similar topic. What is your, it's from Larry McDonough. Hi, Larry. Thanks for joining. What is your opinion of NPS? Do you, do you do a NPS separate from partner NPS or sorry, do you do a developer NPS separate from sort of like a partner NPS? I would just like to say, figure out what it is that you're trying to get that score on. So for example, are you trying to NPS your services? Are you trying to NPS your yeah. content? Are you trying to NPS your company's sort of relationship well, let's go with, with your perspective and, and let's talk about content because you, you really about content. So you're that specialist here on this side. What is your opinion of NPS on content? I do struggle with it a little bit because I think that you should be producing quality content. That's, that's what you should be doing 
right? Like the developers are looking for content. What we might miss out on is which channels they're on. New channels come and, you know, old channels fall away. So we can, we can understand more about where they're, where they're gathering and make sure that we are in that space with them and that we're providing the right content to them in that space. So I think that asking them how we're doing on the channels and in general is the are you, do you feel satisfied? Now, in our particular case, we have tons and tons of resources and lots of different channels for Salesforce developers, right? So we have our developer website, we have YouTube, yeah. we have our forums, we, ha we have resources everywhere. So I think it's important to ask, which of these resources are you actively engaged in? But as far as the NPS, like I, I, I don't think that I'm asking them how I'm doing as a developer marketer. I think I'm asking them and what I want to know is, is what we're providing to you what you need in order to be successful? Because if it's mm. not, I need you to tell me what it is that you do need. Mm -hmm. And that's what the survey is for. So I kind of look sure. at it as a holistic thing as opposed to an NPS score. score. Okay. So it's not, uh, let's talk about product side, developer NPS versus partner NPS. I, I would frame it a little differently because if I look at something like Azure, if you're a developer in a big company, you may have yes. no say in whether or not your company's adopted Azure, right? And so we're going to retain you as a customer because your company's bought in. But as you, if you as a developer are having a miserable experience with our services or with our SDKs, you are not going to be a promoter and you may, you have friends that may be doing similar things and that may impact our ability to grow future business. So I wouldn't say it's necessarily a developer versus partner thing, but it tells us, you know, are the people using our services happy? And even if we retain them, if they're unhappy, that's going to impact us down the road. Thank you. I'm going to take another question from the audience. It's gotten a couple votes and it's directed towards Amara. Which tools do you use to determine if users are interacting with a system or just looking? Yes. So I mostly use Google Analytics. And part of that is because I'm focusing right now on, on our developer documentation, our technical documentation. It's available online. We have two products right now, roughly two products and two different spaces for our documentation. So we can see very clearly who is working in our cloud product, who is working in our, our platform product. So that's what I tend to use. Again, it's going to show you some of those those vanity metrics like page views, time on page bounce. What you do need to, to do if you're looking at documentation is be really careful about how you interpret those things. So a glossary page, for instance, can have a much higher bounce rate than maybe a tutorial, for example, because someone's going to come into the glossary, get what they need, and then leave. Yeah. Um, and they may leave to interact with your product. They may leave to interact with something else that helps them build out their solution and work on their use case. You don't really know at that point. But the other thing that I would mention, again, kind of in the, the Google Analytics space is looking at your user flows. I don't remember exactly the terminology that, that analytics uses, but see how people are stepping through your, your documentation site or even your, your marketing site for that matter. You can see where they're entering, where they're leaving, and then how they're getting there. So if mm -hmm. it takes them four or five clicks worth of pages to get to the information that they really need, should probably consider doing some sort of redesign and moving that content up 
so that it's only one click or one or two pages into their, their journey through your, your documentation. Okay. The other thing that I would mention is also available in Google Analytics, but is available in other search tools if you use them, like Algolia, for example, is looking at, at search terms. What are people searching for? Can they find information when they are searching for those topics? Is it returning zero results? In which case you should probably look at creating some sort of content or modifying your existing content so it includes that, that term if it's relevant or launch an investigation to understand why people are searching that term. Is it something that you want to, to, to help them understand or is it something that you want to help them understand that your product does not do, which is also incredibly important. Just quickly Thank to you. say, all yeah. hail SEO, right? I'm so sorry, quick. Christy, where I'm over time. I would love to hear more, <laughs> but we, I'm over time and I'm getting things from Victoria on the back. <laughs> so we're going to overtime, but it's my fault, not yours. But I want to do a quick wrap up. Everyone saying quick final words of advice from the panelists, short and sweet, one, two sentences, what, you know, Anything that you want to bring and leave us with? I'll start with Jennifer. Sure. So the biggest thing I always try to figure out is why is this metric important? What does it tell us? And make sure that whatever you're measuring, you understand the purpose for it and you understand how to give it context and what's really meaningful in that way, because that's going to that's what's going to help you be very deliberate and data driven in what you're doing. Numbers for the sake of numbers are not data. Awesome. Now I'll give it to you, Christy. You can do short, sweet, last words that to leave us all, with. All hail SEO, right? Find out, find out what your people are looking for and make sure that you're you're using that terminology and those words to give it to them so that they don't have so much trouble getting to the content that you have worked so hard to produce for them. And don't be afraid yeah. to start counting those numbers. Just yeah. start. Just start. Just start somewhere. Amara. Nothing is set in stone. So if you don't like the metrics that you have today, or you feel like you got halfway through the quarter and you're like, this is not the right thing. We should be doing this other thing. Make a note of it and then move on. It is totally okay to choose a different direction for your metrics or to even say, hey, success looks a little bit different for us now. Awesome. And Lori, leaving you for the last I would say don't be afraid to embrace the red. Like if you have a metric, that's not telling the story you would like it to tell, embrace it and get that qualitative data usually that helps provide the context so that you can figure out how to pivot and move towards success. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was too much fun. I, I <laughs> want to do it again. Let's start from the beginning. But we're only four minutes over. So Victoria, sorry about that. But let's. I hope everyone in the audience got loads of value from the discussion. I hope some of you have time to continue from the panelists, the networking session later. I know there's more questions that I did not get to today. So Slack, networking, the audience members are very keen to connect. So hope to see you there. And we'll move on to, sorry, moving stuff. Yes, so moving on to the, I think we're going on to the networking session, right? Or thank you, Christy. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, Amara. If you'd like to continue again, Slack, uh, networking, join us there. 
All right, and before we move on, I do have another announcement. Shortly after the event, we will be announcing 10 lucky attendees to receive a copy of the book, The Developer Marketing Relations, The Essential Guide, and make sure everyone in the audience still to take and check your inbox because you're receiving a virtual goodie bag filled with valuable content and exclusive perks that we and our partners carefully curated for you. Also reminding you in December, we will host our next and final episode of the 2021 series where we will dive into evolution of developers and DevRel. So moving forward, looking at the future. I hope to see you there. And in the meantime, stay tuned in our DevRelX Slack channels. And for our listeners, thank you for listening to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing, the podcast devoted to developer marketing and relations. You can listen to all episodes, find free resources, and the latest news at devrelx.com. You can also subscribe to our bite-sized bi-weekly digest or follow us on Twitter at slash data HQ.